Otto Santa Ana, a linguist, once analyzed more than 6,000 of Donald Trump's tweets and his political speeches for a Supreme Court case to defend the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program, also known as the DREAM Act. He's also parsed the speeches of former Arizona Senator Russell Pierce, who sponsored Senate Bill 1070 as evidence for a constitutional and civil rights lawsuit against Pierce's anti-Latino show-me-your-papers legislation. An expert in critical discourse analysis, Santa Ana is a professor emeritus at the University of California in Los Angeles, where he spent decades analyzing political speech and media representations of Latinos and immigrants. He's the author of Brown Tide Rising, as well as numerous other books and academic articles. In today's podcast, Santa Ana talks about why metaphor and narrative are so crucial to help us navigate the world. He also discusses America's history of anti-immigrant and racist political speech. Santa Ana also has good advice for journalists, elected officials, and anyone else who wants to present a more equitable, inclusive narrative about the border and immigrants. First off, I want to ask you about critical discourse analysis, what it is, and and why did you become interested in it? Well, um, I'm always, I'm a linguist, studying uh, how people actually talk. I always knew that um, I was always predisposed to be interested in language, but um, the ideas that language carries and structures the way we think about the world is something which um, uh, we developed in the last 30 years uh, with uh, theoreticians such, such as Foucault. The basic idea is that since we as humans construct our own languages, we build them from scratch and critical discourse analysis is the idea that we can look at the language practice of different topics and see how our world is structured. So immigration, for one, is a very contentious issue, and there are clearly different ways of conceptualizing the same demographics of people crossing borders. And it's part of a theory that has been bolstered over 30 years now, has a lot of cognitive science understandings that we actually think in terms of that. We automatically, unthinkingly, conceptualize using the metaphors that we use in in daily life. So journalists have a tremendous responsibility and uh, to recognize the power of these metaphors and the narratives that follow from them. And and you've taught uh, critical discourse analysis for many, many years at UCLA, correct? Yeah, 20 years, I guess. And actually 25 years. Uh, last time we spoke, um, I called you up uh, and I was asking you about how we hear a lot of narratives used about the border and immigration where they refer to migrants as an invasion, uh, criminal aliens. And I'm hoping you can talk about that and sort of the impact that that kind of language has on our culture, our society. Sure. It all began when we were, when I moved to Los Angeles 30 years ago, and we were right in the middle of 
uh, Prop 187 in California, the anti-immigrant referendum. Um, I had also gotten married uh, just then, and so I had the LA Times piling up. Uh, I never read it for the first uh, month or so, and then I looked at it systematically, looking at Prop 187 issues, and I saw over and over and over uh, metaphors that were used to characterize immigrants. The LA Times at the time was uh, directly opposed to the referendum, which was anti-immigrant, and yet they were using metaphors that were uh, systematically denigrating immigrants. And so I started counting those metaphors. And I put together uh, an article which became a book on how the, uh, the news media at that time was the newspapers, represented immigrants in a very, very disparaging way. The largest metaphor of the time in 1994 was immigrants as animals. They herded us together. Uh, the lure is jobs. You have uh, agents uh, only catching a third of their quarry. Uh, now the agents must quit the chase. Metaphor after metaphor after metaphor, characterizing immigrants as animals. Uh, animals that could be eaten, animals that uh, sometimes very specific animals like rats. So uh, you have to ferret out the illegal immigrants was the term, uh, or very often pack animals. And so this scenario be was, became clear to me that immigrants were characterized as less than citizens. In fact, they were less than human. We studied this across the country and that um, scenario was very, very strong. There were other kinds of metaphors that we uh, looked at the time, uh, that we found at the time. And the major one was immigrants, that immigration was dangerous waters, fears of tsunamis, of uncontrollable floods, of dams being burst. And so the, those two major metaphors characterize a narrative that was clearly anti-immigrant and that the LA Times was entirely unaware of. This is, did not begin in 1994. Um, when James Polk was trying to invade uh, Mexico, he used metaphors that characterized Mexicans as uh, mongrels. Uh, and the, even the people who were contesting him, uh, like uh, James Calhoun, use the very same kind of language. In the last 30 years, we've heard almost all negative discourse on immigrants, with the exception of possibly a small group of DACA, uh, DACA recipients. And, um, and this notion of the invasion that goes way back as well as a, as, a, as a phrase that is used in political rhetoric. Yeah, for example, in 1848, well over 100 years ago, uh, John Calhoun said, quote, we never dreamt of incorporating into our union anybody but the Caucasian race, the white free race. Ours, sir, is the government of the white race. The greatest misfortune of Spanish America, and he's talking about Mexico and all of Latin America, is that they placed colored races on par with uh, the white race. This language was used well into the 20s, the 1920s. And so there's these metaphors that were used. Another one that's very, very grim is immigrants as disease. So the, um, they were considered to be 
streams of impurity would be, care, uh, would be the immigrants that were coming in. Um, the United States is a brand new, clean country, uh, James Davis wrote. Whereas the foreign lands where people are coming from are filthy and dirty with great plagues of typhus and cholera and leprosy and tuberculosis, among other diseases. When xenophobes are uh, fearful of immigrants, they use these term this terminology to be very, very negative. Um, and it conjures in our mind naturally uh, a fear who wants to be contagious with, uh, uh, with, with typhus, who wants to be, uh, uh, have your, your country washed away by, uh, in a, a filthy stream of water. These metaphors have very powerful consequences. Yeah, I mean, that, that's super interesting. And the last time we spoke, I think you said you were disappointed. You had hoped that the Democrats by now and, you know, the Biden administration would have come up with sort of a new narrative or something more positive, a more positive message around immigration and the border. And do you have any suggestions for uh, journalists, for politicians? Yeah. It, in the last chapter of my book, Round Tide Rising, uh, I wrote all about this because I was so despairing about it that I sort of ended up being depressed. And my wife kicked me in the butt and said, ask your students. They know all the answers. They do. And so I said, well, okay, anyone who's going to get an A, if they can come up with ways that we can test these metaphors. When you, as journalists, you should always recognize that metaphors um, signal narratives. Uh, they are integrated constellation of ideas that fit together. So, uh, for example, when, um, when Trump characterized immigrants, he used criminals, um, disease, warriors, uh, and so forth. In fact, we looked at hundreds of public addresses and thousands, 6,000 tweets and we notice that all those metaphors fit together into a, into a coherent statement. What a journalist has to do is recognize that that's what's going on. And then you have to bring it to their attention. You can say, are you sure that we're really talking about animals? Or why do you characterize a family as a disease? You don't need to go beyond that but simply pose context, uh, facts that contest that metaphor, and then pose yourself um, an alternative metaphor, a counter-narrative. We can't avoid uh, metaphors, and we can't avoid characterizing our world in terms of narratives, particularly with political concepts. And so it's a matter of providing your audience with alternative ways of conceptualizing the same human phenomenon. And, and what were some of the suggestions that your students made in terms of these uh, sort of alternate constellation of ideas or metaphors that could counter this really negative rhetoric? Well, uh, families. Immigrants are families. Immigrants are, uh, are uh, particularly with all the children and, and women who are making their way across the border. Um, we think of them as uh, as human families like our own. Secondly, we think about um, immigration as being something affirming. 
positive. In the Southwest, in the greater Southwest, we live in a desert. Immigration becomes beneficial waters that they serve uh, and provide human resources to build our country. Uh, throughout our history, we use, the, you know, America is a nation of immigrants, and that um, it is a source of uh, energy and uh, exciting ideas and uh, creative talent. And we speak of it that way. But we also talk about it as, as a, in a moral circumstance. Right now, we're in the middle of watching uh, Poland take in well over two million immigrants uh, from, in, within three, what has it been, 20 days? And, um, and three million people have left Ukraine, mostly uh, the infirmed, uh, women with their children, families and so forth, escaping war. That's the same circumstances that led Haitians and Central Americans to uh, migrate to the United States. And it needs to be made clear that the circumstances in Latin America, Central America, uh, uh, warrant that same sort of moral consideration. And as, as a linguist, how would you grade the Biden administration on its uh, rhetoric or narrative around immigration and the border so far? I'm disappointed, very, very disappointed. Um, uh, they continue to use same... Uh, well, it's a political calculus, but it is not uh, the expectation that I had as uh, to imagine that we would talk about immigrants as families, uh, unaccompanied minors as children, to speak about uh, work very hard to amplify the social resources to care for uh, the families that are moving forward. And, and I should say, you're so familiar with Trump's rhetoric because you and your students were asked to analyze all of his speeches and his tweets for a Supreme Court case, correct? Yes, it came to that. What impact did that have on you and the students going through so much of, uh, you know, racist and negative rhetoric that you had to analyze? Yeah, it was very grim. It was very grim. In, uh, in um, 2017, I was teaching a class um, on di uh, discourse analysis. And uh, in the first week, Robert Chang, who is a, a, a civil rights attorney, had heard about the work I done, had done prior in Arizona with uh, Senator uh, Pierce and his uh, anti-immigrant discourse. And he asked me to write uh, a, a report on Trump's language. Um, 30 of my students in a class of 70 worked uh, over the, the next 12 weeks to catalog the metaphors that were used by Trump in his, in his public discourses and also in 6,000 tweets, I think I mentioned. Um, it was exciting for the students, many of whom were new DACA uh, families and, and, and friends, but also that may be DACA themselves, and they clearly were very, very eager to, uh, to do this. It was very painful work because they, Trump's language uh, has always been very negative, very ugly. He is uh, comfortable with being um, disparaging when he talked about immigrants as scum and as, as uh, vile criminals. Um, the students were appalled, and uh, some of them just really couldn't do it. Uh, 
I, in the end, they asked me to write a book about this, and I just didn't want to uh, have to deal with it again because the language is so disparaging. You know, um, and the upshot of this is that it, it, the, the work that the students did uh, became first a footnote in a report that became then um, a document which was a certified document in the appellate court evaluation of the DACA uh, defense. Since the DACA defense went to the Supreme Court, it became part of the uh, materials that were read by the justices. Uh, we know very well that, um, that the public discourse of, uh, of, um, is, a, is a challenging and a novel way of looking at how we consider uh, the Equal Protection Clause. The goal was to say uh, Trump's language was so disparaging that he was using racist language that he was not providing a circumstance for the equal, so he was being racist, discriminatory, and hence the that was the basis for him uh, stopping DACA. Uh, DACA was saved not on those grounds, but we uh, we provided another angle of attack, and I was very excited to see that Sotomayor, uh, Justice Sotomayor, referred. Uh, not to our work particularly, but to the language that Trump used as evidence. Right. And I, I think when we spoke, you said it had a, a pretty like a physical impact on some of the students and yourself. Did some of the students find that they were just unable to uh, go through all of those tweets and, and that very, you know, negative rhetoric? The language was it was equivalent to listening to your family and your community being uh, sworn at just, um, by, uh, uh, by a stone racist, the most powerful man in the country. People became physically ill, emotionally exhausted by listening to this uh, tirade, ongoing, daily. Uh, we, like I said, it was 600 speeches that we listened to. We analyzed 11 of them entirely and uh, we had to read all those tweets. We listened to them uh, with the video of his, uh, in his rallies, where people were wholeheartedly condoning, cheering him on when he was the most vile. Once a week, we'd bring the whole gang together, 30 people, and work through this analysis. At the end of that, you know, people were disgusted, people had tears in their eyes, because they were hearing this stuff over and over. And I would turn up the music, uh, pull, call the pizza for the pizzas, they would, uh, and, and we tried to uh, uh, shake ourselves out of that uh, ugliness. As a, as a journalist, um, this idea that metaphor and narrative are, are so important in the way that human beings navigate their lives what kind of advice do you have for journalists or anybody, activists, anybody who writes about the border and immigration, um, where they could make their discourse more equitable and empowering for people who are so often marginalized or, or demonized? Well, the, uh, one is to recognize what you've just said, uh, that, um, that it is the language that's used that paints an image, a narrative, that a story that we hear in our heads, 
that's played over and over by people who are anti-immigrant. Uh, and as journalists, uh, that you have to be, you are reporting on that. But you can also report the discourse, the narrative of the immigrants themselves and the discourse and metaphors of uh, U.S. allies of immigrants so that you provide a counterbalance. What border journalists are doing is providing the voice of people who aren't heard, the families and children and, and hardworking uh, adults who want to make their, their lives of their children better. That's uh, what I think really needs to be done, that journalists have an opportunity to recognize how much good is generated, how much hope is generated, how much willingness to work for the help uh, to help immigrants. All that is generated by balanced reporting. Yeah, I know one thing I've struggled with over the years is uh, when you're writing about immigration law or you're interviewing Border Patrol agents, there's a lot of jargon used. Um, the term illegal alien, you know, I, I did my reporting in Texas for many, many years, and, and people often refer to migrants as illegal aliens. And I, and I used to use that in my stories because I thought I'm repeating what they're telling me. Uh, and I remember Maria Hinojosa, who's, of course, a very well-known journalist, was like, you you know, nobody, yeah, nobody's illegal, you know? And so that really made me start thinking about it, you know, just because, you know, Border Patrol says that, and they will say, well, it's actually in the law, that term, that it's a correct form to use. There's a lot of jargon, for instance, Border Patrol jargon, like getaways, give ups, um, that I feel like they dehumanize the person, they disassociate from the, the actual person. And so there's this constant uh, conversation with myself and this balance between reflecting their terminology and what they're saying and, and you know, keeping the humanity I see it on Twitter about how journalists refer to large groups of migrants who are arriving at the border, you know, the use of the word surge. I have been using the word influx lately, and I'm not exactly happy with it, but how do you how do you transmit to an audience like this is, you know, a large number of people arriving without making it sound uh you know, like it's on a battlefield or without using this really negative connotations. And and I think a lot of time myself and journalists are probably overthinking things too and making it more complicated than we need to. I mean, I just try to use the word people, you know, for instance, just that alone um, and, and not overcomplicate it really, you know, but it, it is a constant sort of dialogue. I think I'm having with myself, and I don't, I don't know if you've got any uh, recommendations for how to uh, refer to large groups of people arriving at the border. <laughs> uh, certainly, the copy is four words: large groups of people. You know, it's truthful, it's clear, and it's not disparaging. Um, Fifteen years ago, when my first my book first came out, I was at University of Arizona. Uh, Zona at, in the journalist 
school there. And they asked me, well, what would you provide instead of illegal immigrant or illegals? After I described how it demeans and dehumanizes individuals ultimately by characterizing their their primary quality as something which is uh, criminal. And I said, well, I don't think I would even call them undocumented because undocumented isn't accurate either. It's sort of like, oh my gosh, I've left my wallet in Mexico. I left my wallet in Port-au-Prince. Uh, I'm so sorry. It's not like people don't have documents. It's that they were unauthorized to come to this country by, through the government. And so I said we should use a term unauthorized. A few years after that, there was a major force, a major push by journalists and academicians and, and you know, professors to get rid of the I. It was a campaign, get rid of the word illegal. And we succeeded um, at eliminating from the uh, AP style book. Oh, we actually changed the style book and said that illegal was an appropriate term. After AP did it, many other uh, large newspapers also followed suit. But when Trump ran his, started his campaign, the I word returned. And um, it's only the most uh, liberal and balanced and more professional, I mean, the people that have the money, the institutions that have the money, that are constantly being careful about laying that out Smaller uh, journalists and freelancers really have a great challenge because uh, they have to submit their copy. But for a time, we were able to get rid of the term illegal when associated with immigrants. And I still think that um, that's where we should be headed, as uh, the journalist society should be headed that way. Well, I just want to thank you so much for, for coming on the Border Chronicle. And this has been very interesting and i'm going to think of my constellation of ideas now <laughs> on my next uh, my next story that i do <laughs> the border chronicle is reported by todd miller and melissa del bosque based in tucson arizona this interview was edited by me lily clark if you like what you're hearing, please consider rating us on your favorite podcast platform. It'll help other people find the show. You can read and listen to more local border reporting on our website, theborderchronicle.com. Thank you.